0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host Lindsay Bordell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from a very we're going to be very hot Portland. Solomon Essame. Oh, it's so good to be here. And special guest today is Stefan. Welcome, Stefan. Hi there, <laughs> Stefan. Would you mind introducing
1: yourself for our audience? Sure. So well, I'm by trade, I'm a freelance a software developer based in uh, Berlin, Germany. And I guess I got picked for this podcast because I built something cool with uh, Vue.js, which is incidentally also the language I use when I when I work on projects. So yeah, that's me.
0: Very nice. How did you get into programming?
1: Actually, I wanted to study uh, like communication design. I think it would be translated. And um, but to to get into the university, you had to like do a really hard test and do some homework and then compete with like uh, 100 other student applicants. And so I didn't do that. And then I picked the next best thing that I liked doing and that was IT or computer science. And after after finishing my studies, well, I, I stayed there and started working as a software developer. So um, kind of came naturally, I guess, uh, what with the Internet and like the rise in personal computers stuff like that and I like building things and doing so on the computer is kind of easy. So I, yeah, that's that's what I do when I work for money and also in my spare time. Very nice.
2: Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com.
0: Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense that it's something that comes naturally if you're wanting to, to be a creator. It gives you that flexibility to build whatever you want, and by using a computer and being able to build for the web, you're able to deploy it to a whole bunch of people too. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, especially with with the rise of the internet, so like back, back when I was 12, it just like the internet just like grew and basically uh, was made public and was accessible and affordable. And well, back then, there weren't many sites around. So what did you do then if you were interested in Computer Center? You tried building your own site. <laughs> and it grew from there, kind of.
0: Yeah, nice. How did you get involved with using Vue.js?
1: That's actually quite recent interest uh, of mine. Um, because originally, I I was like, I, I guess you could call it a web developer, but that's kind of like broad and not really... Accurate, but uh, uh, coming from like web development, web development background with JavaScript, uh, I started uh, uh, with jQuery like many years back, and then once this became quite sophisticated, and then there were the first single page application frameworks, and uh, I learned Angular JS. Also, did some professional projects with Angular, and then. Uh, Google kind of decided that Angular had to have a new major release that basically made everything you built so far pretty useless. So you had to start from scratch. And then I decided that I don't want to have anything to do with Angular anymore. <laughs> and I, yeah, then I looked around what alternatives are there. And then I then I found Vue as like the new modern Angular that doesn't have this whole bloat uh, that came with Angular two and. I looked into it a bit and then decided my next spare time project should be uh, based on Vue because it looked pretty cool. And it also was easy to learn and also quite similar to uh, what Angular did back then when it was version 1x. That's funny to listen to your history because it pretty much
3: mirrors mine. Yeah, uh, I, just I, I from guess. the beginning, I mean I was I started out in PHP world, but in terms of starting with Angular Js and building and then it converts to two and you're like, uh, I don't think so. And then it's <laughs> going into view.
1: Yeah, actually PHP is also my very first language that I used on the web But it's like backend, so I had to pick up something front and two and that, that was yeah. Js. So yeah, yeah. I'm also <laughs> with the PHP background there. Yeah, I can remember some of the first JavaScript libraries. Uh, jQuery had a predecessor
3: and I've already forgotten what it was. I remember seeing people use that and there were there's Mootools, yeah, yeah, MooTools and other ones. Dojo or something like that, I think, was also yeah. a JavaScript framework. Dojo. Yeah, there was. And I remember when jQuery came out and talked yeah. to some of my coworkers workers at, <clears throat> at Freightliner and they're like, Oh, this is cool. And that's when
1: jQuery just took off. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, unfortunately, you can now do backend with JavaScript exclusively as well. So I switched sure. to full JavaScript. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I followed a similar path starting with PHP. I just jumped over the jQuery part because <laughs> <laughs> JavaScript just didn't make sense to me. It's, like, what? I, it's cool. I like the reactivity, but I don't. It does It didn't click. And JavaScript didn't really make sense until I started playing more with Vue. I ended up building a PHP jQuery prototype. Needed more more control over it. You gave me that framework. Hmm. So very yeah, cool. it was the same uh, with okay. Angular.
3: I really didn't start playing with JavaScript till Angular, and as part of Angular, I had to learn some core core JavaScript stuff, uh, mm-hmm. which probably makes you know true JavaScript programmers just cringe. But uh, you know, that's where I think a lot of us come in. I learned PHP by starting with Drupal because it gave you that abstraction layer that did a lot of stuff for you. So as a beginner, it makes it easier to, to jump in. And and, and learn, and then start learning the underlying language as well.
1: Yeah, I, I actually back when I started learning JavaScript, uh, there was pre pre jQuery, so there wasn't really any alternative to to learn it uh, with like any good framework that you could just use and learn it along with that framework. So you had to start from scratch basically. And I think Angular like was one of the first big SPA frameworks that were that was also quite like popular and backed by Google. So it was. Kind of a natural next step from from jQuery if you wanted to do more front end front end stuff. That makes a lot of sense. I think to
0: to Steve's point, a lot of people jump into frameworks today because they want to get something done. They want to build something. Yeah. And and then they learn along the way the the various functionalities of JavaScript and how to handle certain edge cases, things that the frameworks were invented to either help the the developer experience or just to avoid altogether. Yeah. I, I took a I took a course in C sharp and that was that was his approach. We're gonna learn ASP.net. You don't know C sharp yet, but I'm gonna teach you ASP.net because <laughs> we're gonna build something that you can actually see on a screen instead of just logging out to the console a bit. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and modern day front end frameworks like Vue or, or, well, React or whatever actually allow you to build a whole app without even like thinking about the back end. So you basically barely need a back end anymore. If you don't, if you don't really like want to have one. And then you can build like 90% of your app in the front end with Vue, for example, and have just the the tiniest back end. And back then you had to have like a huge back end for everything and there wasn't really a front end. So it kind of, kind of switched. So that's also really nice because then when you start like learning Vue, for example, you don't really need to get it that much into PHP or Node or whatever because like, the tiniest API backend is already sufficient to build a pretty app on top of it.
0: Yeah, it definitely eases the, the path to getting into web development. You yeah. don't have to think about the, the server in nearly the same way that we used to.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cool. Like
0: you said at the top, Stefan, we did ask you on to talk about something very specific you were working on with Vue this is an app that I have been using throughout the pandemic uh, to play a game with a number of friends over Discord. Would you mind introducing it for us?
1: Sure. So the app that I built is called Blood on the Clock Tower Virtual Town Square and Grimoire, which is quite a long name, but most of it is actually the name of the board game it's it was built for and that, that would be Blood on the Clock Tower. And if, uh, do, you, do you want me to like give a brief overview over the game now? Or? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so yeah, basically the game that this assists you with is a social deduction game. That means it's like Werewolf or Mafia, which would be the most popular games of these, these uh, of this genre. And Blood on the Clock Tower takes the basic formula that these, I think they're pretty old games created and like evolves it. So the creators of Blood on the Clock Tower took the basic ingredients from Werewolf and from Mafia and from a couple of other social deduction games and built something much better. And then went to Kickstarter and basically uh, ran a successful campaign. And then kind of uh, the, the pandemic hit and also like the usual Kickstarter production issues. So there are now, I think, two at least two years over the estimated release date. So people that have backed the game back then are still waiting for the extra product. But they were uh, really, really kind and generous by uh, releasing uh, or supporting the release of print and play materials. So people were basically able to print and play the, the game components of Blood on the Clock Tower and run this game locally in their store or group of friends. And through this alone, it already became quite the big Hit in, in game gaming groups and um, stores like around the world, and one of these gaming groups was mine. So I started actually building a physical prototype for the game with the printed play components, and we started playing it. Like I think almost almost two years ago, and we had a we had a blast. It was it was a very great success uh, in our in our local store, and it became very popular, and then what everyone knows the pandemic hit, so we couldn't basically play it anymore because social deduction games are, are like among the games where you need the most people in the closest spaces, so you can't really meet and play these games anymore with with uh, with the uh, limits that are uh, imposed everywhere. So we had to resort to playing it online, and first we did so uh, through through Discord and and other online tools, just like to have voice chat and. That went okay-ish. The storyteller still had to have some kind of physical uh, grimoire or game component at hand to manage the game. But it was already quite doable, but not a very pleasant experience because like players couldn't see each other and it was kind of hard to follow the game state when everyone was remote and on voice chat only. And especially for a storyteller, it was hard to to manage the game because like, one of the big components of the game was, uh, or is the voting procedure, for example. And that requires in the physical game to stand in the middle of the circle of players, then move your hand in a clockwise direction and then count every player that has their hand up. And that's just something you can't do. Online in a convenient way, so there, there there were some big drawbacks of playing just through voice chat. And then I actually uh, had some free time. I'm currently on parental leave, so I didn't have uh, any work to do. And I decided, okay, maybe this could be solved by uh, an online app in some way. And because like, like I said before, I come from a JS Angular background, and I was quite unhappy with the the, uh, the way uh, Angular like was handled after the new version releases so i decided to look for a new uh, framework to to build this app in and that brought me to to Vue js and i basically started building these uh, this this companion app for uh, blood on the clock tower just to initially help my group of friends run their games smoother and like with less less hurdles basically and that went really well. So initially, initially the idea was just to have the the app locally, in your uh, have the game master or the so called storyteller has has this app open locally on the browser, and then just takes screenshots to share with the other players to represent the game state, and. That, that was kind of, kind of the first version. And back then, the games were already happening on other Discord servers, on the unofficial Discord server, like daily games. And people back then were still using like MS Paint pictures drawn by hand or, or text messages to represent the game instead. So at some point when the app was kind of usable already, I decided to share with, with the unofficial Discord community, um, which is, I think, currently quite big already. I think they have like 4,000 members or something like that. And well, it kind of took off from there. So it uh, they liked it and liked using it. And I started, uh, or I continued to improve it, added some backend functionality, some live sessions. That's kind of like an online service where you can join a, a play session in the app and then have some features that uh, can only be done like this, for example, the voting. And yeah, step-by-step step it became basically the standard app to play Blood on the Clock Tower that's now even used on the official stream on Twitch and the YouTube videos. And basically wherever people play Clock Tower online, uh, they use the app that I built to, to help them run, run the game basically um, because it's it plays a lot smoother and uh, allows players to keep track of information a lot better uh, if you have the, the, the page open on your browser and can... Can uh, like save information there and keep track of what happens.
0: Yeah, I so my initial sorry, let me try that again. My initial interaction with this app I think came out came in like May or June in 2020 during the pandemic when some friends introduced me to Blood on the Clock Tower and in a local group here in Portland, Oregon that was wanting to play. Obviously, for reasons of the pandemic, they weren't meeting in person anymore. They started playing games on Discord and I was introduced to the app. I was like, "Oh, this is really nice. You can really get into what's going on. You can pay attention to the game." I feel like it replicates the the experience as as best as possible in an additional way. It's been really fun to watch the the new features come out as <laughs> as you've been doing more and more development on it. It's just been really fun to watch. And I I don't remember if it was the first or the second game that I played. I noticed my few dev tools light up, and oh, this is a view app. <laughs> oh, I can I can look at the code for. Ooh, this is cool. So yeah, I I just got a kick out of that and wanted to chat with you because, like you said, at this point the the app is being used pretty regularly across the the Blood on the Clock Tower community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was curious how you built the app. What, what were what were some of the decisions you made while building it, and how did you build it so it could scale to to cover all of these different games? Granted, this isn't like Facebook size application still. A smaller group, but I'd love to hear uh, what decisions you made to build this.
1: Yeah, funny that you mentioned uh, May because I think that I think that was around the time where uh, live sessions and uh, voting uh, made their appearance. So, w- where it really become uh, a really big advantage to use the app uh, because before that, voting online was like really uh, tedious, and players had to like use the voice chat voice to said. say uh, yes or no and. Uh, That's kind of what was one of the bigger releases. So yeah, like I said, initially it was just supposed to be kind of an, an, like, let's call it offline app to, to open in your browser and just use like for yourself. So the storyteller could use it to basically keep track of the game state. And back then it wasn't. Actually, it wasn't the default that players used it to. Because when you play ClockTower in real life, then there's usually no note-keeping allowed involved. So players just have to remember what everyone did and claimed, what what roles they claimed and what moves they made. And the app kind of changed the metagame of ClockTower because now everyone that used the app locally on their browser was also able to keep track of the claims the players made. And... Turned the game kind of into a uh, from who's trustworthy into a puzzle like which situation is actually realistic or which situation doesn't make sense, and that's where the whole thing basically started. So the, the, there wasn't really any any scaling issues there because like uh, it was hosted or is hosted on on GitHub Pages, and um, you basically just uh, open the page in your browser, and then you see some static files and. So that it doesn't matter if there's like a thousand people doing that or just ten, and all of this changed when when voting had to be added or when I had to uh, uh, wanted to add voting and with that live sessions basically, so uh, I had to think of think of a way where uh, people could interact uh, which uh, with with each other's apps app sessions so to speak and share information among each other and. Yeah, that's basically where I started to add or got into VueX as the data store and then look into how to synchronize the data from the VueX stores among different browser sessions. So, yeah, that, that basically required that I add a small backend server and because, like I said, I like uh, JavaScript and use it as my main language language for everything, it, it was a node server. And on top of that, there were, were web sockets. So... Whenever a player changed something in their local game state, in their local uh, VueX storage, the VueX module would basically synchronize this change to all the other players. And Initially, that went fine. But uh, when the app became more popular, um, this started to turn into a problem because every little state change uh, that that the storyteller wanted to push to the players and the players would want to push to the storyteller was basically broadcast to everyone in the in the same play in the same game session and that led to some quite spammy situations where uh, claiming a seat or i don't know voting or whatever led to many thousands uh, of messages being sent to everyone in this uh, in the same session so you you had a lot of traffic of basically websocket messages and so i had to think about how can this be solved and then Basically, you had to add some new methods and filters uh, that allowed one-to-many communication and one-to-one communication. And yeah, basically with that, there was some new design space, so to speak, that uh, allowed me to then build more f- useful features on top of that, like distributing the uh, player roles to each player straight from the app, for example. Before that, the storyteller had to go to every player individually through voice chat or text message and tell them you're this or that role. And after that, because I had one too many messages then or one-to-one messages, I could add a feature uh, that allowed the storyteller to push basically individual messages to individual players. And yeah, from, from that, it basically the, the whole app grew into what it is today. Um, I would consider it mostly feature complete. I mean, I still have like dozen different requests on github that where players want to have new features to be added to the app but i would argue that most of them are like niche at best or very specific so the majority of players would not really benefit from them so and with real life moving on uh, and me having a bit less time currently um (laughs) i basically Currently, I only do small stuff, and uh, maybe when I have more time, um, I I will add some bigger features there. And just to to give you an idea how how the how the numbers grew and how the usage of the app grew, um, currently, uh, throughout the week, we have uh, like let me just look pull up the numbers real quick. We have like between 150 and 200 players concurrently every day as the peak and biggest number of players that i've seen so far was around 300 at the same time and so that means there are like up to up to 20 games running at the same time on the app, each of them with i don't know seven to uh, 20 players in them so it's uh it's grown quite a bit and fortunately uh through the uh, the WebSocket changes I made and the small node backend keeps up with, with the demand so far. But uh, I guess if or when it becomes more popular, I will have to look into uh, further optimizations there to not make it melt my backend server. Yeah, we don't want the the imp to go after the backend server <laughs> instead of the storyteller. Exactly. Very and nice. Then, yeah. And then it's at some point, sorry, at some no, point I, I'm uh, already thinking about how to add uh, actually uh, actual voice chats and maybe later even uh, webcam support okay. straight into the app so that so, players can, um, they don't have to use Discord, for example, uh, if they don't want to anymore. So that, that would be then the next logical step. But this would require quite a lot of work on both front-end and back-end and also hardware upgrades, probably, because then we're not no longer sending small text messages, but uh, full data streams through the back-end.
2: Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock mountain time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. Yeah, it was actually that was going to be my next question is oh,
0: as this app grows. were you, were you going to consider switching to something like WebRTC? I, I know from listening to other podcasts, people talking about building backends like this to do the live communication. WebSocket only scales so far unless you want to pay for higher server power. Yeah, but with something like WebRTC, you could pass directly between clients and the the server could just serve as a a handshake. Is that something you considered?
1: I, um, yeah, actually, I looked into WebRTC, but um, the thing is, most people are behind NAT or routers. So you would still have to route the whole traffic through your server. So, I mean, sure, it wouldn't need processing power, but it would still be a huge bandwidth demand there. And then you still need to upgrade your servers. But yeah, WebRTC would be my first go to technology to use there. And then if it doesn't work out or there is a huge scaling issue, then maybe switch to a platform that already provides um, voice chat and maybe video chat. But yeah, those usually cost a lot of money. So I would prefer to keep it with WebRTC and just do the hosting myself, basically.
0: That makes sense. It's not something that I've, I've played with too much. I'm not as familiar with the specifics of how it works.
1: Yeah, no, it, it sounds great on paper, but then you realize most people uh, don't have uh, network setups that allow communication directly with each other. <laughs> and then you still have the server there that needs to pass every package uh, through through their own network interface.
0: Right. One of the other things I really appreciate about this app is you put a lot of time in, into the animations
1: that, <laughs> that
0: happen here. Yeah. Yeah. And granted, I, I know Vue has some built-in support for animations, but you don't see as much in just standard web apps.
1: Yeah. Most yeah. people
0: are, are concerned about the, the flashiness of having a menu pop out from the side <laughs> or having a, having the clock hands actually go around a yeah. circle. Uh, what, was it, what did you use to implement that? What was that like?
1: Yeah, actually, uh, it's a good question because I think I used the view animation capabilities like only in one, one or two places uh, because it is quite quite complicated to do animations just with Vue because then you need like a bunch of CSS classes that get triggered on enter, on leave and stuff like that. So I only used it where there was no, no way around it. I think one of them is the um, the the countdown for the voting because there, was, there would have been very tricky to do with uh, just CSS. And I think at one other place. And all of the other animations are straight CSS animations. So um, it's kind of also... Because it's like a passion hobby project of mine and not something I, I, I do for work that I, I took some time to actually polish the animations because I, I also enjoy looking at them as a player or as a user. So I, where possible, I, I added some fancy CSS stuff, CSS animations, transitions, like mostly and a few CSS animations even up to the point where people started asking me if I could add a, a button to disable all of these animations <laughs> because because it tended to slow down the browser.
0: Oh, no! How could you enjoy it?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest culprit there was the, uh, the night mode background cloud animation where, where the clouds moved across the screen. I mean, it's a full-screen, huge, high-resolution image that slowly pans across the screen. I think some... Some uh, lower-end PCs just can't handle that.
0: <laughs> yeah. One, one of the other features I appreciate, this is you know, more of an aesthetic thing, is the audio as you're, as you're starting the countdown. <laughs> for those who are... I, this has been mentioned a few times, but for, for those who are, aren't aware, in the game, you know, the game is called Blood on the Clock Tower. When you're voting on whether somebody should be uh, executed by the town, you the storyteller stands in the middle of the group in real life and pretends basically to be a clock going around the circle. So there's this in, in the app there's this sound effect that plays as as the clock starts to spin and it's just it's just really nice. just a lot of nice touches in this app that make it feel fun. It's not it's not your normal just like a data view of some sort. yeah it's not like playing uh, civilization 6 or something where you've, where you've got <laughs> all the tables data. It's, it's pretty, but it's just tables of data. This is not that. It actually feels really nice to use. All of the, the data is easily available, but it, it feels comfortable. And that's yeah. something I, I really appreciate about
1: it. Yeah, like, like I said, I spent quite a lot of time polishing it, just like doing like these small things that make it l- look a bit better. And uh, fun fact, the uh, sound effect that you hear when the countdown starts is like a recording of an actual clock tower. So it's quite fitting.
0: (laughs) Oh, even better. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, Steve or Solomon, if you had a chance to look at the app.
3: Yeah, I've been looking at the uh, online site. Unfortunately, I'm not much of a gamer, so I can't give a lot of feedback into the game itself. I haven't played it yet. I know my son likes to play similar games on his phones with some of his buddies where you're (laughs) you're trying to figure out who the murderer is or who's the the mole, that kind of stuff. So I've seen that play. But uh, this is definitely a lot more than I would be.
1: Yeah, I think getting to know the game through the app is kind of hard because you need an actual game situation to to see how it works. So checking out a video would probably make more sense to see the app in action. This is actually one of the uh, drawbacks or one of the points where I didn't have, have spent enough time yet or where I would want to spend more time is actually make it more accessible, like add some kind of tutorial, a bit more information to actually... Um, be able to understand the game itself through the app, because right now you have to know the game in order to use the app and not the other way around. Yeah, that'd be really nice. I remember my first, I, granted, the, the app has been in development for
0: over a year from my first touching it, Yeah, but... I remember being a little bit lost as I was first.
1: Yeah, at <laughs> I know
0: these things. What's, what's going on? I, I, uh, absolutely,
1: I, I, feel I guess I'm uh, the slayer, but I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a big it's a big point, but it's just like writing tests for your code is just something that would be really nice to have to see when stuff breaks. But I just don't have the time and. <laughs> Once once you know the app you don't know, you no longer need a tutorial so it's also kind of something that solves itself just by using the app but you're absolutely right for for someone who sees the app the first time and has no idea how to use it it's like a terrible uh, initial experience
0: so it looks like this is also an open source project and there's a number of uh, issues and pull requests that people have filed with you are you looking for anyone to come and work on the app and tackle any of those issues is this is this like an open source project you want to have a community form around as well.
1: Well, yes and no. Um, so you're absolutely right that there are already a few people who contributed to the app and also did some implemented some some useful features. So um, that's something I really appreciate and also try to support by providing uh, code reviews and giving feedback. On the other hand, one of my goals with creating this app was to. Basically, make the authors of the board game, the Pandemonium Institute, aware of uh, this app so that, uh, uh, because I, I don't know if, if, if you know this, but the Pandemonium Institute, the, the, the makers of the board game actually have plans or had plans to also create a companion app for the game. But given the whole Kickstarter delays and everything, they just weren't able to get to this yet. And uh, I mean, how, how could they? They need to focus on like finishing the physical game before doing the digital version. So I kind of jumped in there and tried to do, try to build this app how I, I would imagine it, it would work or would uh, would look like. And I, I can't give any details, but let's just say I've, I've already been approached by by them. So at, at this point, um, I'm not sure if making this like a whole community thing would be the best direction to take this in, because if it gets, uh, or like, if, if this becomes the official app, then it would be a Panemonium MST2 project and no longer like community-driven open source thing. I mean, it, in theory, it, it could be both, but that's kind of also hard to maintain if, if they want to keep like uh, keep, stay in charge of the direction the app takes. So um, at the moment, I'm kind of like hesitant to take on new contributors that do big changes because um, I want to see how things play out and when the game is released and the Pandemonium Institute uh, has more time to dedicate to to their or my app or whatever it will be then. That makes a lot of sense. I No matter what happens, I'm excited to see
0: what happens in the future with this app. I have very much appreciated it during the pandemic and I look forward to continuing to use it in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's since it's open source and a, a GPL license, it will always be... This version that you can use today will always be available and always be forkable and like enhanceable, it might be that I won't spend a lot of time on this version when it, when there will be an official one, for example, but you, you can always uh, take that and play with it and uh, maybe build on top of it. And so it can always be a stay a community project, um, just that it might have like some competition from the official app then at some point if, if there is one. <laughs> right, that makes sense. Are there any specific
0: lessons that you've learned while building this application that you're able to use in future view applications? This is a specific case where it's it's getting significant use. I mean, still talking in the hundreds of users, but we're you know there, there is a number of of users actively using this application. Is there any any patterns or any thoughts you've had while building this that you're able to take into other projects you're working?
1: Mm, well, the, the biggest takeaway for me would be that uh, Vue is an awesome framework that I want to use more in the future, ideally professionally. <laughs> so, <Woo-hoo>. um, <laughs> right so, yeah, I kind of I would kind of compare it to Angular back then when it was still cool. <laughs> so Angular one one X before the two two one uh, the two version uh, got released. So um, that would be my biggest takeaway. Then, kind of, well, yeah, it's it's not. Yeah, I I didn't encounter like any huge issues to be honest. There were some smaller things that made it kind of tricky. So, for example, the icons that I used, uh, they are from uh, Font Awesome, and they provide they provide a view module, but they're kind of uh, unflexible how to how to use these. So you had to. I I, I think they're yeah. If if you use the uh, view uh, Font Awesome module, you can't add uh, icons that can be manipulated through CSS. So uh, th- they will always be, um, I want to call it, I think it's called a component in view, right? I mean, what would be a directive in Angular? So basically a tag that's uh, the font awesome tag. And then, so it's kind of unflexible. That's something that I disliked a bit because I would I would have loved to be able to insert icons like in text or through CSS, which is just not possible there. One other thing, and that's actually a, a bit bigger, and that's actually something that's kind of, I would say, a view drawback. is, And it's a very, very specific thing. But when you have a string that contains some text and you want to replace part of this text in this string with, uh, let's say, an emoji or, or an HTML tag, this is something that's just not possible in a like convenient way. So in case of my app, it's the ability of the role that you're displaying. So it's something that's loaded from a JSON file. Uh, can be uh, any kind of data. It will be a string, and it might contain something that should be an icon. And this is just something that I couldn't get to work. So let's say the ability uh, or the, the re- reminder text for the ability has uh, an icon that means close your eyes. Uh, so a closed eye, eye icon. There's no way I, I was able to... Insert a uh, font awesome icon in the place where I was displaying the text, and I, I just <laughs> I wasn't able to to figure this out. So there there was a uh, you can do string manipulation in place, like with uh, with uh, what's this character called? You probably oh, the, the pipe. Yeah, w- with the pipe. Thanks. Uh, so with the pipe, you can you can do some string manipulation to uh, influence the output, uh, the appearance of the string. But what the pipe is not able to do is actually turn parts of the string into HTML that also gets evaluated by view. And I was very sad when I found that out. So what, what I wanted to do is take the string, take parts of the string, replace it with the Font Awesome icon through the pipe. Not possible. <laughs> and yeah, that's uh, yeah. like super specific, but it's just something that I, I kind of got stumped by and then wasn't able to figure out a solution. So I kind of said, okay, then there won't be any icons in the, in the reminder, sadly. Yeah, I'm not sure the
0: best way to implement that. And what, what's interesting about using the pipe that's actually been removed in Vue 3, the filters are no longer a
1: part of view. Filter, thank you. That was what I was looking for. Yeah, so uh, okay. Uh, that, that's, that's actually something that I wanted to do as well. When, last year when I started working on the project, I used uh, Vue 2 and I still need to update to Vue 3. Okay, so that's uh, lucky me. I didn't use pipes. <laughs> that's one less thing to worry about. Very cool. I think my final question, uh Steve, do you have anything you would like to ask before
0: we get to the end? The
3: only question that comes to mind is how much wood could a woodchuck chuck chuck could chuck wood, but that's not relevant to this <laughs> products. So no, I have nothing else.
0: Okay. My last question for you, Stefan, would be what is your favorite role when playing Blood on the Clock Tower for for the intersection of people who like Blood on the Clock Tower and listen to our podcast? <laughs>
1: Uh, that's a tricky one. I mean, they're releasing a, a new role from the Kickstarter like every two weeks and uh, it's kind of uh, in the newer newer ones are always more exciting because the older ones you've played uh, like a ton of times. But my favorite role, probably, <laughs> Probably the evil twin, just because it's one of those roles that create a super unique dynamic when it's in play, and uh, it's always exciting to see both as a storyteller and as a player how, how someone with the evil twin or the the associated good twin handles the situation. Um, yeah, I think I think this uh, this is is one of the uh, perks of Blood on the Clock Tower versus Werewolf or Mafia that that every role can be exciting and no player has like the dummy townsfolk. I have no ability role. So um, yeah. I would go with evil twin then.
0: <laughs> that's one of the things I appreciate about the game as well is everyone has some contribution that they can yeah. give. Everyone has some information or some ability. Exactly. And when when you do die for whatever reason you're still not out of the game. You can still continue to contribute and participate. Yeah, that's
1: the second that's really big nice. the second big advantage. Yeah. Yeah. The game isn't over if you're if you're dead. Quick, since you picked the evil twin, I was storytelling a game of S and
0: I'll simplify it for those listening. And the uh, for whatever reason, the demon was allowed to change somebody's role, so they swapped the evil twins—the uh, evil <laughs> twin and the good twin. And they just they just flipped them.
1: <laughs> that sounds amazing.
0: It was hysterical. It was it was a <laughs> great way to end that game. The game ended yeah. shortly after that because yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. it was it was fun, and that's one of the things I like about this game. It's just so much fun. It's yeah. just a fun social activity to do with each other, uh, yeah. whether you're online or...
1: Yeah, and every, every game is mem- memorable, right? I mean, even if you use the same roads or similar roles, um, every game is unique, which is also really, really, really awesome. Definitely.
2: Thank you so much, Stefan. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium.
0: At this point, we're going to move on to picks. Picks mm-hmm. are the part of the show where we share things that we like with the community. They don't have to be programming related. I uh, will go first to Steve. Do you have a pick for us today, Steve?
3: We yes, have. I do. In addition to the typical the weekly jokes, which I know everybody is on the edge of their seat waiting for, I'm going to go with a Tailwind UI update from Adam Wadden. I uh, just came out today and it's Tailwind UI e-commerce. Looks like it's been fully released. So they've got product overviews and lists and category previews and quick views and store navigation and just a whole ton of Tailwind built components that you can use on an e-commerce site. So I've used, and I bought a lifetime membership oh, about a year ago or so. And for a site that I built, I just used a bunch of their uh, components that you just copy paste into view you can just literally put them into the template section of your view component and then you know fill in your variables and, and stuff as needed but uh i've always loved the tailwind stuff and this stuff just makes it really easy to integrate tailwind into whatever you're building and then tweak it to to suit your site's needs now i'm going to the the much anticipated uh Uh, Jokes. I'm going to. There's one I don't think I've told it here, Lindsay. So you have to forgive me if I did tell it. I I know I repeated it on the other podcast, but have either of you heard about the band called 1023 MB? 1023 MB? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're really good, but they can't get a gig. Oh, no. (laughs) Waiting for the heat laughter. Anyway. um, That was a good one. Yes, it was. And then, oh, also, big announcement, Lindsay. I think you saw this on Twitter. But I was so ecstatic that Stand Up T-Rex is back on Instagram. And so uh, I was I was really despondent there for a few weeks. But he's back in action. And so uh, I'm ha- very happy about that. So what's the worst part about going out to eat duck? It's the bill. That is the worst part. <laughs> yes, it is. The bill. It reminds me. I don't know if, if, if I'm going to guess you're a little too young to remember this. But there was a whole series of t-shirts by this guy named John Barron. Uh, I was looking them up. And the pictures of ducks, and they had different labels. So, for instance, the classic one I think was uh mallard Justed. and it showed you know this duck with his head backwards. Or there was tall duck and handsome, you know, shows a duck in a in a tuxedo, or uh, not playing with a full duck. She was just sort of half a duck. And anyway, the reason that it reminded me is one of the shirts that I had had the caption of uh, another bill, and it shows a duck passed out in front of his mailbox and a duck bill sticking out of the mailbox because it freaked him out. Anyway, those are good. You can actually find them on Etsy. There's a few places that still have them. And last joke of the day, well, actually not a joke. It's a story. Forget I said that. These are really true stories, by the way. A while ago, I I was taking an anaconda breeding class, but I failed it because of a late assignment because my homework ate my dog. So (laughs) anyway, that's
0: it for me. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks. Very much appreciate it. Uh, yes, Stefan, do you have a pick for us today?
1: Sure. Um, I recently had some time to actually play uh, Disco Elysium uh, through. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Uh, it's a computer game. You could call it an adventure RPG mix. It's really, really great. It's kind of if you took a really good book and then turned that into, into a game uh, with uh, lots of dialogues. So um, it's like the best written game I've played so far. It's um, plays in a dystopian uh, world after after the revolution. Um, and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's for people that uh, like story-heavy games that also allow quite a lot of uh, like influencing the story. So I was happy to actually find some time to play this through and I don't regret a single minute of it, Disco Elysium. Awesome. Thank you. I think I'm going to check that. Uh, So I have two picks and a shout-out
0: today. Uh, First, I'll do a programming pick. As of recording, Vue 3.2 recently released uh, includes a number of new features, including script setup being a feature-complete release. It's no longer uh, under preview or anything. You can also VBind style. So what that allows you to do is if you have something in your your, uh, JavaScript, you can then import it into your CSS uh, directly with a v-bind, which is kind of interesting. Excited to see what happens there. And also, uh, Vue 3.2 allows you to define custom web components rather than creating a standard Vue component, which then allows you to import that web component in your regular application, in a React application, in an Angular application, wherever you want, that you can normally use a web component. Uh, So that's kind of cool, being able to build web components just with Vue itself using the standard Vue API. So if you haven't yet taken a look at View 3.2, I highly recommend it. It's, a, its code name is Quintessential quintuplets. There's a blog post on the VJS site about that. But my second pick is if you are intrigued about this game, we've been talking about Blood of the Clock Tower. There's an excellent podcast out there called Cult of the Clock Tower by Andrew Nathanson, where he talks about the different roles that appear in the game. I highly recommend starting from the beginning is talking through the second of three scripts that exist in the game. And the the first portions of the show talk about the first script, uh, which is called Troubled Ruins. It's a little easier to, to onboard into if you're interested in the game. So highly recommend checking that out. That's Cult of the Clock Tower. And then shout out to the group that I play with for Blood on the clock tower uh, at pdxbotc.com. We do a bunch of events in person and online. I highly recommend if you're in that area, to come and join us. It'll be lots of fun.
1: Can you already play so, in person again? Or is it still online?
0: Uh, could briefly. <laughs> Restrictions are coming back. Yeah. That's another topic. Yeah. Um, All right. So, Stefan, how can people find you if they want to either continue this conversation or just learn more about uh, what you've been up
1: to? I guess GitHub would be the, the best uh, way there. I mean, it has it has the code for, for the project we talked about and also has my contact details and other things I work on. So, yeah, probably GitHub. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming on the show. This was excellent. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for the amazing questions. I'm looking forward yeah, to, we- to hear it uh, when it's done. Yeah,
0: it's going to be great. I uh, hope you all enjoyed listening to this as well. If you want to hear more from us, you can find us at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can also find us on Twitter at viewsonview. You can find myself on Twitter at Lindsey K. Wordell and Steve on Twitter at wonder95. Hope you have a good day. We'll see you again next week.
2: Adios. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot to learn more.